3: Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF Podcast. It's Friday, March 4th. Next week on BOF, it's Careers Week, that time of year when we put a spotlight on our platform, BOF Careers, the global marketplace for fashion talent. And on the subject of careers, there has been much discussion about the so-called Great Resignation. People everywhere are re-evaluating their relationship with work. I prefer to think of this as the Great Recalibration, where people are more focused on finding the right balance between life and work, with an emphasis on finding a greater sense of purpose and meaning in everything that they do. The mass resignations that we're seeing everywhere are simply a symptom, not a cause. So. This week on the BOF podcast, to give us some perspective on the future of work and the role of leaders in this new climate, I'm pleased to share this talk by the co-founder and CEO of Charter, Kevin Delaney, who will talk about the role of leaders amid this great recalibration. Here's Kevin Delaney at BOF Voices
4: 2021. Has anyone here ever had a bad boss? Raise your hand. Okay. This is the fashion industry. Um, Sorry, Um, I once had a particularly bad boss. My first job after university was working for a television production company in Montreal. We are a team of eager 20-somethings who were recruited by a producer who was a veteran of the CBC PBS and he said that he knew John F. Kennedy personally. That was doubtful. The producer, my boss, had problems with lying, with alcohol misogyny, emotional manipulation. One day I was standing by the office fax machine and I discovered that he also was running a tax scam. He was cheating the Canadian government out of money and investing it in luxury real estate on the Gulf of Mexico. So I desperately hope that not all workplaces were like that. I was a bit terrified, but I quit without another job to go to, this is my first job. And I vowed that when I had a chance to be a, good, a manager, I would be a good manager myself. But what I found over the years, managing teams of a few people, and a dozen, and a hundred, and eventually hundreds of people, was that actually just not wanting to be a great manager was not actually a guarantee that you would be successful. McKinsey and Gallup have done some research and they say that only 10% of managers actually naturally have the essential skills that are required to be successful. We've all had this experience, organizations don't actually do a particularly good job of training or supporting managers. On top of that, organizations actually are, very few are actually equipping managers to navigate where the world is going. These are things like reinventing capitalism, climate change, future of work amid automation, greater racial equity and racial and gender equity, diversity and inclusion, multiple generations in the workforce. These are seen as macro policy issues But in fact, they do and they should impact how we lead in workplaces every day. On top of that, we have the factors that people have been talking about here. We have the pandemic, the changes that that has brought to work, that managers are having to deal with, the great resignation that Imran was talking about. And all this means that assumptions that we have about what makes a great leader are way out of date and they're actually probably fundamentally wrong in a lot of ways. what kind of leaders do we need to be now? Over the next 10 minutes, I'm gonna summarize what the research tells us the answer to that should be and suggest some approaches to answering that question. A good place to start is actually to look at what workers themselves are asking for. Edelman recently did a survey of thousands of workers around the world as part of their trust barometer surveys and they found a few key takeaways that I think we can build on here. The first one is that workers are looking for leaders to take stands on societal issues. 61% of workers choose employers based on their beliefs and values. About a third of workers actually said that they actually left a job because their employer didn't take a stand on a societal issue that they felt was important. The second big takeaway from this survey is that workers are also looking for flexibility. So just 31% of the workers who have recently left a job or are contemplating actively leaving their job actually are doing so because of compensation or career advancement. 50% of them are doing it for lifestyle reasons. They say that's the biggest priority. And by lifestyle, you can actually read flexibility. One of the most interesting implementations of this is the four-day work week, which is here actually in some places, and is coming more broadly, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. The third thing is that workers believe their well-being is the most important priority for a the company. They now rank employees above customers, the communities they operate in, shareholders. Actually, it shifts the order pre-pandemic. And some people might find this like pretty surprising and shocking that employees would say that the purpose of the company, the greatest purpose, is to actually serve the employees themselves. But workers are feeling empowered, and there are some good things about that. Importantly, at the same time as workers actually have higher expectations for employers, they actually have greater levels of trust in them. And that seems paradoxical, but it does actually create an opening for leaders. One question I hear often from leaders is how do they balance how do you find the right balance between the way that they've always operated, between maybe what they learned in business school, a focus on operational performance of their business, and these new expectations of their employees. The glib answer to that is a lot of leaders actually don't have an option, you know, to provide workers with societal purpose, flexibility, and greater attention to their well-being. The tight market for talent requires these measures if you want to attract high performers above all, and uh, as Imran was saying, in September alone, 3% of the U.S. workforce voluntarily quit their jobs. This is a level that we've actually never seen uh, since the recording uh, of this data started. But the real answer to this question is that research shows clearly that all of these things are actually in the interests of the company, they're in the interest of the employer as well. And one framework that we can use to think about this is, Sustained performance. So, this is not performance, it's not your quarterly financial results. This is building the foundation for a business that grows and grows over time. I'll come back to this in a few minutes. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes, until you try them on. Same goes for health care. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com.
4: So what does this all mean for how we need to lead? So first, it's connecting workers to societal purpose, and the starting point for that is just making sure that your organization is net positive, is that it does actually have a societal purpose. Paul Pullman, the former CEO of Unilever recently, wrote a book called Net Positive, and in it, he talks about how net positive businesses improve well-being for everyone they impact at every scale, every product, every operation, every country, for every stakeholder, including employees, suppliers, communities they operate in, even future generations and the planet themselves. Some key areas that companies don't talk about are peering deeply into their supply chains and questions of tax avoidance that actually are worthy of further inspection. Beyond that, research actually shows that for leaders, telling stories is a really powerful way to connect your employees to a societal purpose, and then telling them and retelling them again internally in your company. These are stories about clients whose lives were improved by your products or services, communities who benefited from your presence, workers whose families actually had a, a positive impact from your work. Inclusion could fall under each of these headings because it relates, but it relates very directly to societal purpose because if you're not running an inclusive organization, you are failing the net positive test. And I'm a big fan of a recent book. It's called Did That Just Happen? It's by two psychologists who are affiliated with Harvard, Stephanie Pinder-Amerker and Lauren Wadsworth. And among the key recommendations is what they call empowering listening. This is a way in which leaders don't downplay concerns about inclusion or jump to solutions, which is a bad habit a lot of us have, but they actually invite the people who are impacted by bias to show the way forward. That's the first thing that uh, leaders can be doing. The second thing is providing workers with flexibility where possible. In the 19th century, our has made a shift from focusing on work as it was done by f- what was produced to the number of hours that were worked. And it's actually time that we need to shift back to focusing on the work that is produced, uh, not the number of hours that people are sitting in a desk outside of their boss's office. The research is clear that people are more productive, they're more happier when they're given more autonomy, including over when and where they work. It's also clear that working longer hours isn't necessarily a way to be more productive and more effective in your job. And actually, over 50 hours a week of work, we see rapidly diminishing returns for productivity. Further, experiments in Iceland and elsewhere are actually showing that the four-day work week is something we should all be considering. From the multinational Danish law firm, Kroem Rumert to the US Children's Clothing Retail Primary, to the New Zealand unit of Unilever, firms are actually finding that the four-day work week actually works for them. Employees are less burned out, they're more engaged, they actually manage to get just as much work done in four days as they do in five days. The main difference, the main thing that you sacrifice is long meetings. It's probably fine that we, we uh, get rid of those. So how do, you get, how do you provide flexibility, get the work done, preserve a company's culture and creativity? Research shows that hybrid work is actually the format that actually works particularly well for that. It's where workers come into the workplace two or three days a week, they meet in person, they do their focus work individually when they're at home or or somewhere else and that's working in a spreadsheet, writing a report, working out a particularly intricate design. The third thing is that being the leader we need to be now involves addressing burnout and other impediments to worker well-being. A majority of workers over the last year have experienced symptoms of anxiety and burnout in connection with their work. 43% of workers say that their employers aren't actively addressing burnout sufficiently. And so what can you do to address this? Starting point, you need to make sure that there's access to adequate and good mental health care. Another thing you can do is actually engage in conversations with the people you manage about their well-being. Good starting lines for such conversations are things like, how are you doing? Really, how are you doing? A research actually found that when you say really, people actually are more honest and expansive in their answers. Another thing you can say is, what are you doing to take care of yourself this week? And then from there, managers also need to themselves model what the well-being that, that everyone should have access to. And this is uh, normalizing, taking breaks, taking vacations, actually practicing self-care. So to summarize, the leaders we need to be now have to connect workers to purpose, provide them with flexibility, look after their well-being. This is a different profile from the stereotypical leader traditionally who's hard-charging and singularly focused on performance, but there are, we are seeing changes already. Executive recruiters are actually starting to change C-suite job descriptions, and researchers have been studying this to focus on interpersonal skills of the sort that are necessary for the leadership we need in this moment. So where does this leave the performance of the enterprise if you're you're addressing all these expectations of workers? My former Wall Street Journal colleague, Sam Walker, uh, looked at this question of sustained performance in the context of professional sports. Uh, And what he did is he looked over the history of sports at sports dynasties. So these were teams that won year after year after year. And during those periods, what was exceptional about them that allowed them to do this? This was sports teams like the Montreal Canadiens hockey team in the 1950s, Boston Celtics in the 1950s and 60s, FC Barcelona from 2008 to 2012 when they won or drew 92% of their matches and they won two Champions League titles. The single common factor that Sam found among all of these sports dynasties was that they had exceptional team captains. Not coaches or managers, the people who are in charge until you get on the field, but the captains who are out there on the field showing leadership with them during the course of play, dishing out direction and feedback in the moment. More often than not, they actually lead from behind. They're sending out the ball or the puck and not focused on delivering a solo virtuoso performance. People like Carlos Pujol of Barcelona, who's a defender. Interestingly, excellent team captains also are people who don't shy away from conflict and they don't prioritize being uh, liked by other people. So today's organizations, if they're serious about sustained performance, require team captains more than ever. These are people who provide constant practical, real-time communication with their teams. And in doing so, they convey purpose and care. They address problems the moment they happen. They don't wait for a performance review a year later. uh, They provide reassurance and the the certainty of having someone you trust leading through your rough half of your match, a come-behind effort, or a pandemic. For leaders, it's actually being sure that you're not insulated or isolated from staff. It's not about focusing on the spectacles or the speeches that you might give in corporate amphitheaters. Those are fine, there's a place for them. But that cannot be the only thing. So I mentioned at the beginning that McKinsey and Gallup found that just 10% of managers were naturally equipped. I mentioned I had a particularly atrocious boss when I was working in Montreal in my first job. And I've outlined what's expected of great leaders and how it's different from what was required at the start of 2020. But the good news is that McKinsey found that actually people can be taught to be great managers. They can become inspired team captains, leaders of sustained performance. The playbook for doing all these things is certainly not fully written, especially in these times. But what workers are asking for is pretty clear and there is actually a good reason to listen to them. So what kind of leaders do we need to be now? The kind that innately recognizes the key to satisfying customers and shareholders to longevity is your people. And that ensuring that that they are inspired, healthy, and happy isn't some soft thing that you're pursuing, but it's actually a mission-critical goal. Good luck pursuing this on sustained performance. Thank you.
3: Thank you for listening. If you're interested in pursuing your own career in the fashion industry, check out BOF Careers, the global marketplace for fashion talent at businessoffashion.com careers.
1: You know, that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in store, on social media and beyond. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash B-O-F, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-O-F to take your retail business to the next level today. shopify.com slash B-O-F.
0: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.